HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by MOFAD, the Museum of Food and Drink, inspiring public curiosity about food. Learn more at mofad.org. This week on Meet and Three, we bring Inside you stories Julia's about Kitchen. the coldest, it's darkest Bob's season. Employee-owned Bob's Red Mill offers it's organic, cold, gluten-free, stone-ground products. Visit bobsredmill.com today. We explore two frontiers of cocktail culture, luxury ice and the rise of non-alcoholic drinks. The rocks traditionally becomes 25% of your drink's volume, and as such, it imparts smells and tastes. And we investigate the risks facing New York City delivery workers during the harsh winter. In the wintertime, after two hours of biking, it's quite easy, actually, for the bikes to sing upside down or slips or slide. Tune in to this week's episode of Meat and Three, that's M-E-A-T plus sign T-H-R-E-E, for some food for thought to sustain you through the dead of winter. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to Inside Julia's Kitchen podcast, Julia Child Foundation for Gastronomy and the Culinary Arts. I'm your host, Todd Shulkin, the Foundation's Executive Director. Our show takes you inside the Foundation's world to meet the talented people we have the good fortune of learning from all the time. On today's show, we welcome gadget testing experts Leslie Stockton and Michael Sullivan from Wirecutter. In today's episode, we're going to talk to Leslie and Michael about the latest must-have kitchen gadgets, how Wirecutter figures out which kitchen gizmos are truly the best, and we'll get another double Julia moment. Stay with us. We'll be right back. As always, we launch the conversation with an inspiration from Julia. Julia is very famous for having said, I think every woman should have a blowtorch. She's just as well known for actually wielding one on TV and in the kitchen, usually simultaneously. That's right. Today, we're diving into one of Julia's loves, kitchen gadgets. She was ever curious about new ones, loved testing them out, 
loved analyzing their merits, and loved collecting them. Numerous and quizzical examples are on display in her kitchen at the Smithsonian's National Museum of American History. Now, while Julia never ever endorsed products, she was not above recommending things, independently, that impressed her. When the Cuisinart came out, she was an early advocate and most definitely helped them grow by crowing about its merits. Now, while food processes are now commonplace, when the Cuisinart was introduced, it was a cutting-edge bit of tech that helped revolutionize kitchen prep, especially for the home cook. So our guests today, Leslie Stockton and Michael Sullivan, work at product recommendation service Wirecutter. Wirecutter is on a mission to empower consumers to make the most informed choices. So think consumer reports for the digital age. And Leslie and Michael's jobs are triple threat of scientific evaluator, recipe tester, and food writer. And while Wirecutter covers all things for the home, we're, not surprisingly, focusing on the kitchen, just as Julia would have. It's time to get all geeky about gadgets. Welcome to the podcast, Leslie and Michael. Hi. Hi, Todd. How's it going? Thanks for having us. I'm really glad you could join us. Thanks. So let's start. Just bring us up to speed on exactly what Wirecutter does. Sure. Um, Wirecutter is a product recommendation site, as you said, um, owned by the New York Times Company. Um, And we test and review products. Um, We speak to experts. Um, We do a lot of our own testing in our, well, for the kitchen team, which Leslie and I are on. We do a lot of um, testing in our test kitchen, uh, hands-on testing. We'll go to stores. We'll we'll look at the products. um, And we really... Um, do a lot of research before we even begin that testing process. Um, but that's sort of what we do. And then we make recommendations based on, on our testing. Right. And uh, there's a lot of factors that go into what we recommend. And, and I, I would say it's like a cocktail of what, you know, makes the best. And it's always dependent on the thing not this set of, of you know, static things for each. It's not a set of static criteria for, for everything, if that makes any sense. Yeah, so you don't have one product testing framework that you then smash everything up into. It's relative to what the category is and what the type of device you're testing is. Exactly. And so let's back up, though, because I think people might be curious. How does, how does one become a product testing um, <laughs> well, expert over time, but even get into it? So may, maybe just tell us a little. I know you're both food writers and, and, and food professionals by training. So maybe, Leslie, you start and just tell us, you know, sort of how you ended up at Wirecutter. I mean, oh, how does anybody end up in anything? Um, <laughs> well, <laughs> I spent my whole career in uh, the culinary field in one way or another. I was um, a line cook uh, in restaurants, uh, San Francisco, Austin, New York for 10 years. And then when I was just about uh, done with that, because that's a very hard line of work, um, I wiggled my way into Martha Stewart Living, where I was a food editor for uh, six years. And working in that test kitchen, not only did I have to develop and, and, you know, you know, do food stories, I also had a lot of experience testing uh, new products for Martha's line. They would always, like, send 
<laughs> send prototypes to to the test kitchen and 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 we would you know put them through the paces and you know send back our notes. Little did I know uh, that that would help me to um, uh, create this new career for myself as a product tester after Martha Stewart. So um, it's weird how things work out like that. <laughs> so that's... And Michael, is your story quite similar? I um, worked front of house in restaurants um, and most, mostly front of house in restaurants and then did um, some catering. Um, and then I worked in food retail um, for many years in New York City and in, in Boston. Um, and then... Um, I was an editor and writer at the International Culinary Center, um, formerly the, the French Culinary Institute in, in New York City. Um, and so I worked there uh, developing uh, curriculum and um, writing textbooks and recipe testing um, and recipe writing there, working very closely with all the chefs there. Um, and um, and I also worked as a recipe tester for cookbooks for, for a, a bit. Um, and then, yeah, sort of found my way. It's sort of like, how does anyone, <laughs> how does anyone become, know. Uh, you know, someone who tests uh, kitchen gadgets? It's sort of a, a winding road, I suppose. As is life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, it's one that makes sense because I think the operative thing is both of you described both careers in, in, in the food industry, but also that you did, maybe you came to it through recipe testing first, but it's the discipline of testing. I mean, would you say that you know, in some ways testing is testing once you learn how to do it in some kind of methodical way? I would say that recipe testing, I was never a um, recipe, uh, I was never a recipe tester, like in quotes, because I am a terrible recipe tester. Uh, I, it, you know, a recipe tester takes a recipe that has been written by the person who developed it and they have to follow it to the letter to make sure it, it works. Um, and that's not how I cook. <laughs> so I'm a much better recipe developer and writer than I am a recipe tester. Um, but as a product tester, I can take my gut instincts as, as a cook and take all of my experience as a lifelong cook, even I'm even including like getting into the kitchen when I was a kid and messing around and failing miserably. And I can take that to this um, product, these products and say, okay, this is, I, this is what the home cook is, is going to do with this thing. And so, and, and that's always how I approach things. I don't approach things from a former professional cook. I always approach things from what is, what does the home cook need from this? How am I best going to serve them with my recommendation? I don't know if that answered your question. Yeah, no, I mean, so does that mean that actually in the way that you work at Wirecutter, it, it's more theoretical than it is a, a, a neat grid where you score everything or you kind of do both. both. It is a combination of both. You know, like being at Everyday Food at Martha Stewart, I had to, you know, write recipes for the home cook. This was, you know, a weeknight cooking digest mostly 
And I really had to tune myself into, you know, who is the person who needs a recipe to, you know, feed themselves or their family after a day of work and what, what can I do to best serve them? And so I take that same mentality to what I'm testing in the kitchen, like which one of these things is going to best serve the person who wants to get dinner on the table, who doesn't want to futz around with complicated pieces or who, you know, just wants something that folds into their, into their cooking style as seamlessly as possible. Because we don't, we don't tell people how to live their lives. We find the things that are best for the lives that they already live. Michael, did you want to add anything to that from your perspective? Yeah, I don't, th- I, I don't think we, yeah, like Leslie was saying, we, we don't ever tell anyone, you know, if, if you already have this product at home, whatever it may be, and you love it, let's say it's your grandmother's rolling pin, I don't know. If you, if you love it, that's going to be the best thing for you, right? And if it works for you, then that's great. We're not here to tell you that you shouldn't be using you know, one thing or another, but if you're making a new purchase and you're coming to us um, and you're ready to make that purchase and, you're, and you need help and guidance in making that purchase, I think then that's where we're, we're really very useful. Right. You, you say, I broke my grandmother's rolling pin, and we say, well, right. we have some recommendations <laughs> for you. <laughs> yeah, let, let's get into that, because actually, ironically, I was looking at the site, and I saw, I say your as in the sites, I don't think it was, I don't know who it was who wrote the article, but it was a recommendation for a great kitchen scale. And it was kind of, I think, based on all around. And I went to look and see if I could order it on Amazon here in London, which I could. And the immediate thing is it was like wire cutters top rated thing. And the first thing I saw on Amazon was someone gave it one star because they didn't like it for a reason that I couldn't really work out. And so it is really challenging to reconcile those things. So why don't you tell us a little bit more also about, because there's so much information out there and there are plenty of other comparison sites, what is is wire cutters kind of unique difference or what will people find most useful about the way wire cutter presents its reviews? We started talking about this, but could you elaborate on that given my example? Sure. Yeah. I mean, did you want to? <laughs> Would you like to talk about us versus uh, Amazon reviews? <laughs> well, it was just one. It was that was actually a real life thing that happened, but it, yeah. it spoke to what you were talking yeah. about is how it's e- even within comparisons. There's there's everything's relative to your own experience and right. you know, whether you have long arms or short arms. Right. Or... Yeah, and you know the uh, the hard thing about. Um, reading all the glut of Amazon reviews is, you know, the one stars are like, this thing ruined my life. And then the five stars are like, this thing, you know, um, made my life. Um, And it's really hard to parse those out, you know, Um, especially with an Amazon review, you don't know how much of it was like human error or, or if the, if the thing arrived, um, just, you know, broken or if it was damaged in shipment or, um, what, what this particular person was, um, expecting from the product. Um, so I think what makes, well, I know what makes us different is that we say this scale is great for most people because, 
you know, if you're not measuring out five grams of coffee or however much, you know, you put in a pour over or I don't write the coffee guides, sorry. <laughs> um, or, you know, if you don't like bake a lot, if you don't need like a, a, a super precise baker scale that can also handle like 50 pounds, you know, this $11 scale is going to be just fine for you. Um, and I have that scale, Michael. Do you, yeah, you I have, have it too. Scale? Yeah. Um, but I also have our tiny little... Um, little micro scale. I have a little micro scale because I make my own skin skincare and I need to measure out like 10 grams of ascorbic acid for my <laughs> face. I mean, but it, like that's what I need for my life. <laughs> um, and then we tell them like, look, this scale is great. You know... It, it might stop working for you if you don't store it properly. Like, never store a scale with stuff on top of it. And I think that's something that most people, like, don't really, like, think about. And it's honestly something I never really thought about until uh, Michael started redoing the scale guide. I'm like, oh, well, that makes so much sense. You're wearing out that spring. Yeah, after I damaged, like, three <laughs> of my own. <laughs> Finally learned my own lesson. So what is your, I mean, it's your guide. I want you to talk about it. Well, well, talking about the, the reviews, like going back to that, I mean, it is, it, it, that's always a part of it. We always take into account what people are saying on Amazon or on, on other sites, but we really do just sort of um, talk to experts and, we, and then we do our own, um, you know, research. We read other, um, you know, other publications that are writing about this thing or, um, and so we kind of take all of that information and assemble it. And then we, and then that sort of helps us see what it is we actually want to test. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I think that you kind of have to take some of the reviews with a grain of salt. Like Leslie was saying, there's <laughs> sometimes the review isn't for, isn't even for the correct product. It's yeah. for like <laughs> something totally different, but they accidentally wrote it on, on that, um, on that review. So, um, yeah, it's a lot of things that go that go into how we decide what we're going to actually test. Right, and a lot of those one-star reviews are, are criticism of Amazon and not the product. Um, you know, it's it when you know when we're looking through Amazon reviews because that's a huge part of you know the beginning stages of research. Like, what are people saying about this thing? And we look for um, common themes. Um, you know, breaks after three months or um, the battery drains fast. Like you have to change the batteries out a lot. You, uh, this thing chips at, you know, in one particular spot. Right. So uh, those, that's when the Amazon reviews come in handy. But the thing there is you have to read most of them. <laughs> Yeah. So. Well, and you need a critical mass, right? It's, yeah. it's helpful if there's a hundred. If there's three, you can't. Yeah, you can't tell all those right. things right. you mentioned. So yeah. I'm sort of getting that, like, what you guys offer is context and a sort of reliability. But you could actually start with, oh, I need to buy something. I've looked what what I can get easily fast on Amazon Prime. Let me then check what Wirecutter has to say about it. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. We also do a lot of long-term testing of all of our products. So once we recommend something, then we, we will um, use it. You know, either someone will take it home um, only for the for the products we recommend, but we'll take it either take it home and use it in their kitchen, or we just keep it in the test kitchen and use it, um, and that really will tell us a lot about the longevity of, of a particular product. Um, and I think it's different for for everything. But that's know. what sets us apart. 
Right. A lot of product, you know, when you read a lot of reviews about product recommendations, um, it's hard to find long-term test notes. And, and that, to me, is one of the most valuable things about wire cutters that we actually take pains to use it ourselves in our kitchen over an extended period of time. Um, and if we can't, we ask people within the company like, hey, uh, do you need this in your home? Um, might ask for it back in a year. But, you know, if you promise that this is something that you think you're going to use regularly, then please, you know, use it. Tell us how it goes. Because I live in Brooklyn. There's only so much stuff I can keep in my home kitchen. And there's only so much space we have in our test kitchen because it, too, is kind of small. So um, the long-term test notes for me are very important. Yeah. The the guides are sort of, we always say, are li these living, breathing things. And so they're never complete. It's not like we're, we're going to test, you know, whatever it is, and then and, and then we're done. And that's that's it. That's that's the pick for forever. Well, it may change, you know, and new products come out all the time. And um, and so we're sort of always changing. And uh, and then also with the long-term testing notes, maybe we've discovered something that we don't like about the product, or, or maybe we like it even more, you know. Um, and I think, yeah, I think that's just so valuable. So does that mean actually the content that's on the site, it gets updated? Or do you not publish until you've done the, the long-term test? Oh, it, it's, it's always updated. Yeah, it's all, always updated. So, so does that also mean like if you thought you were going to buy a new blender and you looked and you'd made up your mind, but then you, didn't, you forgot or didn't have the money, and then six months later you should go back and check because there, there may be updated information? Right. Right. Yeah. And we try to, on, on the top of the site, we'll sometimes say, like, we're in the process of testing this, so hold off, you know, if you're, if you're thinking about making your purchase in the next, like you said, six months or something. Right. Right. Yeah. And obviously, a bigger, depending on the price point, it's a bigger deal to hold off. Or right. right. Of course. Of course. I also thought I'd give you guys, because a lot of the press on Wirecutter, I think, proudly boasts that you're part of the New York Times group of companies. But since you're also in the sort of reporting on products and things like that, Leslie, do you want to just describe, like, how you are related and, and where the differences are? We're a whole, <clears throat> pardon me, we're a wholly owned subsidiary of the, of the New York Times. Um, uh, and so we're not, like, we are not, yeah, they, they own us. We are Wirecutter and the New York Times company owns us. That's <laughs> so, so you're your own entity, and yes, you're also right. your own editorial entity. Yes, and you don't, right. uh, other than in your social life or whatever, there's no you don't liaise, or you're not a division of the food section of the New York Times. No, um, sometimes um, we, I mean, we've done a couple of collaborations with them, but uh, we we work mostly ninety eight percent, you know, just completely and in, in, independently. <laughs> Yes. Oh, I did see that. Like sometimes they actually they the food section or editorial section will consult you and say, "Hey guys, what have, what have you done on coffee? We'd like to run that." Or something right. Like that. Right. All right. Well, we're gonna uh, without further ado. We well with a little bit of further ado, we're <laughs> gonna take a quick break, and then Leslie and Michael are gonna reveal some of their favorite new kitchen gadgets and must-have items. What's your favorite new kitchen find? Is there a kitchen gadget you'll never be without? Send us an email or even a voice memo to contact juliachildfoundation.org to let us know. All right, we'll be right back. 
This episode is brought to you by MOFAD, the Museum of Food and Drink. Featuring a variety of interactive displays, MOFAD encourages eaters of all ages to be curious about food. The museum currently operates MOFAD Lab, a 5,000-square-foot experimental space in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, where Chow, making the Chinese-American restaurant, is currently on show until the end of March 2019. This exhibition celebrates the birth and evolution of Chinese-American restaurants, tracing their nearly 170-year history and sparking conversations about food culture, immigration, and what it means to be American. It highlights the evolution timeline of Chinese-American restaurant menus, dating back to 1910, and also highlights a tasting section where participants get to enjoy tastings created by the country's most talented chefs who specialize in Chinese-American cuisine. Make sure you check out Chow while you still can. The exhibition closes at the end of March 2019. Check out MOFAD's tastings and extensive event calendar at mofad.org events. Welcome back. We are talking to kitchen gadget testing experts, Leslie Stockton and Michael Sullivan, about their latest finds. So, um, Leslie, why don't we start with you? What's the most useful kitchen ja- gadget you've tested lately? Oh, gosh. What's the most useful lately? Um, well, how about I just say the most useful? Um, a knife. You need a good, sharp chef's knife. Um, I think that people tend to just like let their knives kind of languish and get dull maybe because they just they're they're used to the dull blade or whatever but a sharp chef's knife is the most useful um thing in your kitchen as well as a good cutting board if you're using a glass cutting board just go get yourself like um, a plastic one if a wooden one is like way too much money to throw down right now but like a glass cut a, like the glass cutting surface is just tearing up your knife edge so to me those are the most useful evergreen kitchen gadgets hands down I think that's excellent advice. I'm still, <laughs> I, I'm not sure I've seen someone using a glass um, oh, cutting board, but I'll take you Obviously, they are. You'd be surprised. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That frightens me. All right. Yes, please. You heard it here. If you have a glass glass cutting board, that that is not right. Uh, nor very safe. So, Michael, what, what, what do you think? What if yeah. you either, do you have an overall one like that? Obviously, that might even be maybe a pet peeve of Leslie's, but I think that's great advice. Do you have one that's, that's, um, really recent or do you have an evergreen one as well? I think that for me, yeah, it's sort of similar where it, it, I think the, the most important things are the things that um, you use all the time in the kitchen, right? So like good cookware. Um, and I think if you are willing to put a little money into it and, and good cookware can be very expensive, but I think if you buy it piece by piece over time and you, you accumulate this collection, you'll have it forever, you know? And I think if you really invest in these things, um, those are, those are the those are the greatest things in your kitchen. I think are the things that last for decades or forever, like a good caster and skillet or a KitchenAid mixer. You know, like these things are going to uh, service you for many many years. Cuisinart food processor. Yeah, 
<laughs> yeah. The yeah, first okay. in the All right. In well, the I'm not I'm not going to get anything that that that's I think excellent advice but old school. So now now I'm going to try to mix it up. So <laughs> what do you think are and I wasn't going to ask you wildest, but now I'm tempted to. Like what are the, I was going to ask you in general All what right. the overall trends for the kitchen are for this year or, or you know, you end of last year into this year. But I'm also now tempted to be like what's the most insane gadget that you guys have looked into? that is either amazing or just ridiculous? Um, I wouldn't say... Okay, um, amazing or ridiculous. Michael, you want to take... Sure. <laughs> I mean, well, for me, it was um, air fryers, and this is sort of a thing that is so popular right now. Um, but I think I was just surprised at... I, I mean, we just... We tested them, and we, and we wrote a, a review on them. We just didn't didn't love them. I mean, for the, for the amount that they cost, it's essentially just a small convection oven um with a fan that that blows hot air around i mean that's that's essentially what it is um and so you know we tested it against a uh, convection toaster oven and found that actually the results in that were were the same if not better in most cases so um we would i think that was really surprising it was this thing that is insanely popular right now <laughs> it's like <laughs> but why <laughs> um, do you think that was just because it was really you know, marketed I, well. Like, I, remember that as a kid, you'd hear that commercial, and it would just be so compelling that you just were yeah, convincing your yeah. parents. Even, oh, do you of think course. it just it had a good jingle or something? I think, yeah, I think and chef endorsements, and I think too. I think I, if you're not thinking, oh, well, wait, if it's just a, if, if you don't realize it's just a convection oven, then you wouldn't necessarily think, oh, well, my toaster oven, if it has a convection setting, can essentially do the same thing. Um, and so I think that's sort of our job is to always look to see, well, how can, is this better than what's already out there and, and, um, what, what makes it better or worse than, than what is out there? Um, you know, I think like, um, deep fryers too, like that's great for some people, deep fryer if they're frying a lot. But I think also, we also recommend a, a pot with a thermometer in it, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, cause if you don't fry that much, you don't need to have that in your kitchen unless you want to, you know? Um, so I think it's always, we're very thoughtful about, you know, we just don't want people to buy things for the sake of buying them. Um, but yeah, I think that was a surprising one for me. Yeah. It, um, and 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 the popularity of air fryers is they it just keeps growing. I I think it's actually I think it's waning now maybe a little bit. Um but oh gosh. Um but to answer your question about food trends, um pizza is still having a moment. Pizza, you know, home home pizza. Uh you know, tricking out your oven with um, a baking stone or a steel. Um, uh, you know, Breville has a pizza oven out, a countertop pizza oven out now. Um, it's, you know, pretty costly. Uh, but it seems like pizza is still, like, holding strong as, as, like, something for people to do in the home. But on the flip side of that coin, um, everything, Things are cycling back to, like, getting dinner on the table. So, you know, with the popularity of the Instant Pot, where someone can just come home, throw everything in the pot, turn it on, and, you know, 45, 50 minutes later, you have, like, a meal, you know, as opposed to a slow cooker where you had to put everything in that thing in the morning and then go to work and then come home and it's done. 
um, <clears throat> I always find... Well, that's a revolution for me because mm-hmm. I had actually not quite clocked that because I remember the crock pots were a big deal. Mm-hmm. But, so that's the difference. An Instapot, it, it's essentially like a crock pot that's also a pressure cooker that then makes it so you can cook everything a lot faster. Right, exactly. They call it... I mean, it, it's labeled as a multi-cooker because you could use it as a slow cooker, as a slow cooking function. Um, and you could use it as... A you know you can pressure cook in it. I I made yogurt in it for the first time a few weeks ago, and that came out really well. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it. I just I, I I like seeing these cycles, you know, where like it's about like making things easy and or as easy as possible and getting dinner on the table, and then it kind of cycles into, you know, the home food hobbyist, and you have your sous vide, you know, immersion circulators and and your, and your you know, torch attachments. What is that called? Searsol? <laughs> um, and, and, you know, when, and uh, I, I think I called it, like, urban homesteading phase when everyone, like, <laughs> wanted to keep chickens and bees and, like, can stuff from the green market. <laughs> um, <laughs> is that over? <laughs> I I think it's I think it's kind of over. I think people in New York City realize that keeping chickens is a lot of work. <laughs> yeah. And do you, do you, how much of a user feedback loop? Like I'm always wondering about all that pizza stuff because I know I had several pizza stones and things like that. But especially because it's heavy mm-hmm. and you've got to kind of do a lot of prep, I always wonder: does that stuff really get used? And and it does seem like people use Instapots more or slow cookers. But do you guys have much feedback, or that that's not kind of part of the wire cutter equation? Feedback from our from, readers from users and users, oh. customers. Um, we we do have a comment section. Yeah. And people reach out to us on Twitter all the time. Yeah. And we have a, a great community team. Um, and they are constantly <laughs> bumping questions to us and like, you know, uh, bumping Twitter questions to us. And uh, I like that. Like, yeah, it allows us to kind of keep in touch with people and, and see how it's how these things are performing in the real world. Um you know, because without it, I don't think we would we would know that information. Um, so I think it's really valuable. Um, yeah. And I think we talked about this, we sort of touched on it, but just to, to talk about it a little more, that was one of the things I was curious about is that there's always that debate about, like, is a KitchenAid mixer really worth how much it costs, you know, over everything else? And or is the Cuisinart still better than than its competitors? Have you guys found a lot of times that these sort of oldie but goodie standards that have set the mark really are still must-haves or worth the money? Or is it some are, some aren't? What What's your kind of response to that? Yeah, I mean, some of those are staples for a reason. <laughs> so, yeah, the KitchenAid, I mean, still, you know, has, um, has um, continued to perform well. And um, the like we were saying earlier, the um, uh, Cuisinart food processor and good cookware, um, you know, these things just continue to work well. Um, and we definitely test them against all these new things that are coming out. And, you know, you, you always try to test with an open mind. Um, you don't go into it thinking, okay, well, this is the, you know, the Cuisinart. Of course, you, you have, you know, background in, in testing these things, but um, you really just have to look at it 
um, objectively and just look at the results and, and, and see, you know, cause sometimes, you know, you, you can be surprised. I love it when I'm surprised, but I will say this, the KitchenAid mixer, the KitchenAid stand mixer is, is still, um, is still the quote unquote best, but it's only the best if you're going to use it. <laughs> if you're not going <laughs> to, if you don't bake very much, um, you really don't have the use for it, and maybe a hand mixer is all you need to make, you know, the occasional batch of cookies or whipped cream. You know, it's it's all about what works for you. And if someone asks me if, like, oh gosh, do I really need a KitchenAid mixer? I'm like, do you bake? And like, well, not really. I said, then, then no. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and you're not just saying that as you, right? That's how Wirecutter presents the information. Right. And that the one, right? You'll say, this is the best all around if you're like an avid cook or baker, but this is a good option if you only bake occasionally, right? You exactly. Right. Exactly. Like uh, if you take our, our, our small saucepan guide, you know, I, I have, we have a pick for, um, we have, we choose the two quart, um, all clad saucier plus, you know, um, a fully clad triply, um, less expensive saucepan, and then like a farberware. Because if you don't really cook that much and you're honestly just looking for something to like heat up the occasional can of soup and some milk, you know, for, for, um, hot chocolate, that's that, that $18 farberware is all you really need. Um, but if you want to make reductions in sauces and you want to, you know, have like a nice curved bottom edge for like whisking in, you know, whole butter and you really want to like get that awesome restaurant, like saucepan action, get the, um, all clad. If you're somewhere in between, then, you know, our top pick, I think is the Cuisinart multi-clad pro. Mm-hmm. To, and then get that. It's, it's, um, it's all about what works for you, and you know, and we're very cognizant of budget, um, and trying to like span um, as many budget categories as possible, uh, so that we don't exclude anybody in our recommendations. So, last question, which is a little related to what we already talked about, but slightly with slight nuance difference, is there? One thing that you both have, maybe you haven't even personally tested, but just seen around that is on your wish list that you either have told or will tell your friends and family that you want for your birthday of of a new gadget that you just think is coveted, Hmm. desirable. That's a tough one. I I know. know. I have so much in my kitchen. I know. I have so much, too. (laughs) Um, I should probably be getting rid of things, not bringing bringing more things in. Um, (laughs) I'm trying to think. My kitchen is fully tricked out, and what my friends and family know to get me over the next few years is uh, Heath dinnerware, because I'm collecting a full set of Heath. That's my, that's my stuff. And so um, I love it. It makes me happy. It's a tool I use every single day, and it just it brings me so much joy to eat off of it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, is that Heath Ceramics? Heath Ceramics, yes. 
it, it sounds like one of the sort of messages overall is really that um, the staples and the basics really count more so than necessary. Like Julia was a big collector of gadgets. I think sometimes, it, a lot of times, it was the novelty of it, of just one more thing, because she was so well-versed in using the basics. And I she's not around anymore to ask, but I think a lot of these things that are unusual that are on display in her kitchen, Mm -hmm. I'm not sure how much she used them. Right. I mean, I'm not going to get a duck press. (laughs) (laughs) It is cool to watch someone use one. But but yeah, most people really, you don't. don't. If you're running a high-end restaurant, you might need one. (laughs) I can always use a new piece of all clad. I will say that. I don't know where I'd put it, but. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Michael, did you want to add one more thing? Oh, no, no. I just, yeah, cookware, you know, Dutch oven, those things are great. great Always gifts, a new piece you know, of Lo yeah. yeah. I won't kick a new piece of Lo Crusade out never of Never going to say no. <laughs> no, I will never say no to that. <laughs> yeah, I would say my favorite uh, new Lo Crusade edition is um, these little mini um, espresso cups that come in all the different colors they make. I love oh. them. Use them every day. And you can you can mood adjust them. Like I use the sunny yellow one to wake up in the morning. <laughs> purple one. I know it's crazy. But I love them. I, that's fantastic. I, yes, that was totally. That is not an ad. So after the break, Leslie and Michael are going to each share their own Julia moment. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey there, seems like you like podcasts. My name is Eli Sussman. I'm a chef and restaurant owner, and I've got a great podcast right here on Heritage Radio Network called The Line. On my show, I interview chefs and restaurateurs about the trajectory of their career. It's a one-on-one conversation where we talk about where it all started to where they are cooking now and everything in between. You can find The Line everywhere you get your podcasts and on heritageradionetwork.org. When you flip anything, you really, you just have to have the courage of your convictions, particularly if it's sort of a loose mass like this. Well, that didn't go very well. See, when I flipped it, I didn't, I didn't, have the courage to do it the way I should have. But you can always pick it up, and if you're alone in the kitchen, who is going to see? From Julia's immortal words, we move into our last segment, which we call the Julia Moment. Here's when we ask our guests to share their favorite Julia memory, moment, or how she's inspired them in their career. All right, Leslie, what's your Julia Moment? Well, I will say that I grew up watching Julia Child on Sundays, at on um, PBS in Houston, Texas, as a child, um, with, a, with a huge string of cooking shows that was on with the Raging Cajun and Yan Can Cook, uh, and I just loved watching her show. But I think the thing that inspired me the most was years and years and years after, when I saw a photograph um, behind her island where in her kitchen where she cooked and there's like four uh, culinary producers just like crouched down on the ground, like handing her her swap outs. And I, and I looked at that and I said, Oh my God, it takes a village. No man or woman is an Island and um, we all need help. It's, it, it just, it, it takes the effort of so many people to make something happen. And as wonderful as Julia was, she too needed help. So it's okay. <laughs> no, that's absolutely true. She always, especially for TV and for all, almost all her books and stuff, she had a team behind her that, and she would absolutely acknowledge that. 
Thank you. That's a great one. Thank you. Michael, what's yours? I, like Leslie, I also um, used to watch um, Julia and, and Jock Cooking at Home and um, Julia Child and Company and, and, and yeah, I was a regular PBS uh, watcher <laughs> growing up. Um, but one of the things that I think I always appreciated was that, um, well, her willingness to make mistakes um, on camera and, and her willingness to, to share that and not edit that out. Um, and I think it, it made me sort of realize that, you know, oh, if, if, you know, here's someone who's an expert in, in, at what she does, um, and yet she still makes mistakes and she's still learning. Um, and I think that just makes her, made, made cooking, you know, uh, more approachable, you know, and um, I think it's, it's less intimidating when you, see, when you see that, which you don't see much anymore. <laughs> I know that is ironic that Julia was such an, you know, one of her innovations, maybe even just by default, was showing mistakes, but how that really helped people both both learn and break down the barriers. But we've sort of moved toward, the, other than competition shows where you're actually designed to watch people fail, <laughs> everything else is really about perfection, and there aren't mistakes, and or you, right. you if there were, you'd re, reshoot it. Right. right. Well, great reminders to keep everyone grounded heading into the rest of the year. So thank you very much for that. And thanks for joining me. Thank you for having us. Thank you so much. A pleasure. And thanks, everyone, for listening. We hope you're already keeping up with the foundation. But if you're not, please make sure to follow us on social media. Our handles are at Julia Child on Facebook, at Julia Child Foundation, all one word on Instagram, and at Julia Child JCF on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at T Shulkin, T S C H U L K I N, if you also want to follow me. Are you ready to bring your kitchen into 2019? Are you debating about that air fryer? If you are, visit thewirecutter.com to explore their top picks and advice. You can also follow them on social. Their handle is at wirecutter on Instagram and Twitter and at thewirecutter on Facebook. The Julia Child audio clip from The Front Chef is used with permission from our friends at WGBH. And thanks to my co-producer at the Foundation, Lauren Salkeld, and our sound engineer at Heritage Radio Network, Matt Patterson. Our theme song is New French Horn by Novi Veltorni. Please give us a review. It really helps new listeners discover the show. We're on the air on Heritage Radio Network on Thursdays at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific. Downloads available soon after on Stitcher, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We look forward to bringing you back into the Foundation's world next time on Inside Julia's Kitchen. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners just like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. 
Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.